You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Gino looks, going to lay it up over the top. Got a man out there. It is locking. He has got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. Is it too early to offer an apology, John Boyle? I mean, I'm, I don't know what we're talking about, but I'm going to say no. Okay. I feel like I owe everybody an apology. I just shut things down last week. Yeah. I, I feel like we should have been talking about the game in New York, New Jersey, for those of you on the East Coast who are very particular about those things. I feel like we should have talked about the 11 sacks. I feel like we should have revisited that game. That was a big game. And you know what I did after arriving back home at about 5.45 on Tuesday morning? What's that? I just shut it down. Just, you're I done? mean, like, I, I went to a couple, I just, you know, and I kind of said peace out for the rest of the fair. week, the and I week. apologize. I, I don't think we were missed that much. Really? I don't, maybe you were, but. Well, now I'm hoping to get comments otherwise, but I know that that just opens us up for many more comments. The bye week was... Take another uh, week off, you guys. You know what? Let's not even (laughs) plant the seed. The bye week for me, um, it was good. It also reinforced that I have ADD when I watch football games other than our own. Yeah. Did you notice that? Do you watch like Red Zone where it bounces around and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, guys, I got to You know what I I did Sunday? I watched kids at a pumpkin patch. I didn't watch a lot of football, so... No, I didn't. Uh, Arguably easier to focus on kids in a pumpkin patch. Agree no? to disagree. Okay. All right. Well, you never <laughs> you never taken three kids eight and under to a pumpkin patch, Jen. You are correct, John. And while we might not have benefited from just complete rest during the bye week, certainly the team did. A chance for those guys to get healthy and a chance even for Pete Carroll to add a little pep in his step. Oh, who, who got the most out of it? I did, I'm sure. I, I feel the most prepared coming back this week. Um, I'm way ahead. Um, you know, I, I, if you remember, I never gripe one way or the other about when the, when the buys come because you can't do anything about it, so we just try to make the most of it. Uh, for us right now, we, like all of the conversations go to you, and we have guys having a chance that have been banged up early in the year that have a chance to get back out. And so, um, you know, we're going to take full advantage of that. Um, we've been making it through with, you know, with guys stepping up and doing a nice job, and we're really proud of that. But uh, this will give us a chance to get a little healthier, and then we'll try to, you know, bank on that as we move forward. You know what I think is interesting about having the early buy? Not only did it come at the perfect time for so many guys that were banged up or that have been injured, but it also came at a point in time where you still don't know the identity of this team. You don't have as much to self-scout as if this buy came later. And here's why I think it's important. The Seahawks have lost their last three years coming out of the buy. I wonder if the conversation we've heard, John, it's just like – they're just chomping at the bit to get going because they don't really feel like the season is quite started. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's so early for the buy. You know, normally if it's midseason, you're really reflecting on this, you know, eight game plus body of work, figuring out what's working, what's not, what do we need to change. I think more than anything right now, it's just a feeling of let's recapture what <clears throat> excuse me, let's recapture what we had going back in in New York two weekends ago and just pick up where they left off because this team feels like it's been trending in a good way in a lot of ways the last three weeks. There's a lot of good things that happened in New York. And look, the Giants, they are a much maligned team. That offensive line also much maligned. Not that the Seahawks are 
going to feel sorry for them, given how many injuries the Hawks' offensive line has dealt with. But 11 sacks ties a franchise record when the Seahawks got the 11th sack, John. John Schneider was standing right in front of me. He has no idea what's going on. I just yell mostly into his ear, they got it! And John He's looks like, what at are you me, talking about? What are you talking about? It's like, they tied the franchise record. Anyway, it was a fun game. And you kind of start to wonder if that was a one-off. You, you cannot expect that much pressure. Yeah. You, you can't expect to get to the quarterback every time. But there is reason to believe that this defense, well, well they can keep up part of that trend. We're doing better. You know, we're just doing better. We're, we're fitting together. You can see us cleaner and sharper. Um, communication is the best it's been at, to point, at this point. And, uh, you know, we have high expectations that we can keep going, you know. And the, it, it, as always, it fits. The, the coverage is a little bit tighter, and so the, the ball's held a little bit. Our disguises are a little bit cleaner and sharper and more effective, and that helps. And then, then the rush helps the ball coming out, uh, you know, faster. And everything kind of feeds off of one another. So we have a chance to really keep getting better. We're, we're really just getting there. We're, it doesn't, it's not a finished product. We're still moving. Yeah, I mean, 11 sacks is not sustainable. You just you don't do that every week. That's a franchise record that stood for 30-plus years for a reason. But the progress we've seen, that's real in terms of, as Pete Carroll said, it's tied together. The, the coverage on the back end has been improving, certainly getting Reek Wollen back, getting um, Spoon in there has helped, and then just guys getting more comfortable in what they're being asked to do back there. But then up front, when you change over three starting positions on your defensive line, it's going to take those guys time, and we've seen it getting better. You know, Jaron Reed's kind of the leader in there, but all those guys have been contributing, and, you know, plays obviously with outside linebackers on the edge as well. So I, I do think even if we're not going to see 11 sacks, even if you can't assume you're going to hold teams to a single field goal every week, I do think we're seeing this defense grow quite a bit since, what, since you know, that tough first half or second half of the opener. And one of the names that has been brought up in conjunction with the success is a guy that we haven't spent a whole line, a whole lot of time talking about or talking to, and that is BT Jordan. Yeah. He, you, you can't miss him when he's on the field because he is very active with all of those pass rushers. But he does have a really unique point of view because he was not coaching in the league prior to coming to Seattle. He was working with these guys individually. And when I say these guys, I talked to him back in training camp. He said he'd worked with over 200 different players on pass rushing um, techniques and their abilities just over his training sessions that he had done over the last handful of years. It's been fun to see how that translates here. Yeah. And a lot of guys have pointed to him, helping them. Even Bobby Wagner said, you know, he's been working with them quite a bit. Uh, this is a guy, as you said, he's trained NFL athletes all over the league, and then he was in the college ranks most recently at Michigan State. But he's a guy that is, you know, really given guys. I think Bobby Wagner explained, like, he's a good teacher and like, the way he messages it. Because you can hear that, you know, Bobby Wagner's heard probably everything there is to hear about pass rushing and technique. But one guy might just show you a little different way to do it or tell it to you a little different way, and it clicks. And even in year 12, you can be learning. Yeah, and it is, I think, also showing that Pete Carroll is willing to adjust and he's willing to change because, as he points out, this is a new addition and a new position to the coaching staff that was added. He's, he's added a ton, and, and uh, you know, we've never really had the guy that specialized just in, in, in pass rush, so it's, it's, it's a new experience for us. Um, 
but he's you know he's got a, he's got a wealth of, of knowledge about it. He's, he has a great way of connecting with the players. Um, they really you know they, they hover around him to try to find out what he's going to tell them next. And so it's a nice it's, it's a, a nice part of our scheme. And it's nice to see that you know we've really picked up in, in these last couple of weeks, become pretty effective rushing the passer. And if we can keep that going, then his imprint will will be really obvious. I was hearing some numbers this week from ESPN stats that when Joe Burrow is pressured that his completion percentage drops significantly. Now, that's not a surprise, but also that offense, while we saw it get going against Arizona, Arizona is not in the top 10 in a lot of defensive categories. So while I'm not discounting the fact that Cincinnati has turned the corner and that they're getting healthier, if you can get pressure, whether you get to Burrow or not, you've got a good chance to affect that pass game that, man, do they – do they have some threats downfield? Yeah, I mean, starting obviously with Jamar Chase, but that that offense struggled early on. Burrow was injured, and then, unfortunately for the Seahawks, they seemed to be catching them right when they're hitting their stride a little bit and putting up huge numbers. As you said, Arizona's defense has, has had its issues, but yeah, I mean, this is this is a very tough offense for the Seahawks, and getting to Joe Burrow, making him uncomfortable, will be very important. Yeah, don't look at the actual offensive numbers for the Bengals because they had only scored three offensive touchdowns through their first four games. So if you look at their total numbers, total yards, rushing yards, passing yards, they're in the bottom five in every category. In fact, they are 31st in the league when you look at total yards gained. They are also among the league's lowest in points per game. That is not indicative of certainly what they have. What really stood out to me was the deep threat in Jamar Chase and the number of times that those guys have connected downfield. But before I give you those numbers, let's get Pete's take. Joe Burrow's a terrific quarterback. He's he's shown that over the years. His college days proven, you know, I mean, he, he is, he's the big-time QB. Uh, their coach really loves to throw the football and utilize and trust him, and he's got terrific receivers, and Jamar happens to be their top guy. You, you can't have a bigger game than three touchdowns and 19 targets and all that, you know, all, all the balls that he, that he uh, took to the house were phenomenal. So they're loaded, and but that's not all. They, you know, Joe Mixon is a great player, too, and, and he makes their running game. So, you know, they they just got everything that you need. Yeah, you do almost forget about Joe Mixon in there because you're looking at those Jamar Chase highlights from last week. One of those touchdowns. So he had 15 receptions. That is a Bengals franchise record. He had three touchdowns. One of those was a 63-yard touchdown reception. That was coming out of halftime. And get this. It is the seventh touchdown of 50 or more yards for Jamar Chase since 2021. That is the most in the league in that time frame. And Joe Burrow, well, he is the best in the league at tw- since 2020 in those completions of 40 or more yards. Yeah, what does that tell you for Sunday? It tells me they're very explosive and the guys on the back end need to be on top of their stuff. Uh, we'll say. <laughs> Another we word almost came out there. Well, yeah, yeah but Let's I mean, keep it kid friendly. Look, it's you know he is incredibly talented and fast. Chase, I'm talking about, and it's not you know, I know people are going to want to make it about okay him versus Reek or him versus Witherspoon or whatever, but it's not a one on one thing with a guy like that. It's safeties being involved. It's you know there's going to be zone concepts. It's it's everybody on that back end taking care of thing. And then to your point earlier, it's getting to the quarterback as well. You can't give him time to hit those deep balls downfield and let those plays develop. It is interesting because you've got – there's just so many things that have to go right. 
right? And I don't watch enough Bengals highlights to know exactly um, the formula that works every time. We tried to ask Bobby about that this week, and he said, look, it's so many different factors that go into that. Those are deep developing routes. Jamar Chase is explosive. And sometimes it's the run after catch, right? And Seattle's gotten caught on that a few times this year with not getting uh, not getting to their guy in time, getting beat in some of those coverages. So, yeah, you, you better be ready to tighten that up on the backside. Yeah, great test. I, we just talked earlier about this defense and, you know, the improvement and sustain, how sustainable it is. I, this, this is a good test of, you know, how far they've really come after – after that game in New York. I was really just teeing you up to say the name Devin Witherspoon. My fault. I thought for sure we were going to go right there. Let's talk about Devin Witherspoon, Jen. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about Devin Witherspoon (laughs) because he is coming off of Defensive Player of the Week honors. Two sacks, a pick six. Boy, that was a pretty play. That was fun. Against the Giants. That was good. He picked up a couple of key blocks downfield. Yeah. How about Julian Love and and just flying down the field. Just, I know that was a that was a speedy group. We're gonna have to take a look at some uh, some mile per hour, some some speed times. What am I looking for? Just overall team quickness, fastness. What? what uh, we'll look at that. Me, not Jen. today. We're looking at that for something <laughs> down the road. Uh, clearly, John cannot read my mind, but I think everybody uh, could understand where Pete was coming from talking about the rookie. And we already trust that he's a playmaker. You know, we've seen that. So we're not really surprised. We're just excited that he's that it's fitting together. We didn't know, you know, that he would be able to pick stuff up as well as he has. Um, we were hoping. and uh, But he has not even, you know, really flinched at, really at learning the nickel low. stuff in conjunction with the corner stuff, you know. So um, that's just a real positive for us as we move forward in terms of matchups and how we deploy our guys and all that. So really just really thrilled to, to see him, you know, have that much success. And, and uh, now I'm anxious to see how he responds to all the, you know, all the attention and all that. And, and I, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you take a guy number five overall, you obviously expect him to be an impact player. But, man, did he really show it in a big way in just his third NFL game. And, I mean, there's so many things impressive. But one of the biggest things to me is he's playing two different positions early in his rookie year with limited training camp and basically no preseason because of injury that, I mean, people, you know, you can look at a roster and say, oh, nickel is a cornerback. But those are very different positions playing outside and playing nickel in the NFL. And he – has done both already in his very young career and played very well at both. And it's it almost creates this conundrum if you're a coaching staff of where is he best, what's the best overall combination of guys on the field for you when they are healthy. Um, you know, It sounds like we don't know yet about Artie Burns and Kobe Bryant. If they're not back, it would probably make a lot of sense to keep Spoon at nickel this week. But long term, who knows where he fits because he's just so good everywhere. Yeah, you talk about injuries. Seattle getting a chance to get mostly healthy after the bye. We do expect to see Charles Cross come back. He has been at practice, at least. Maybe I'm optimistic, but he is trending in that direction. Jamal Adams should be back on the field as well. For Cincinnati, they could get T. Higgins back. He broke a rib a couple of weeks ago. That would add to the firepower that they have on offense. But injuries around the league, well, they might be affecting you and your fantasy team. Our fantasy expert, Scott Ingles, has more on uh, how to handle that. Thanks, Jen and John. And this week we pivot to a very important subject in fantasy football right now, which is trading. A lot of significant NFL injuries are forcing fantasy football players to aggressively seek out trades. And 
We love trades. It's one of the reasons we play fantasy football. And trades are also great in real life, as Seahawks fans well know when they've seen the trades where the Seahawks have acquired Marshawn Lynch or Quandre Diggs. And it's a rush when you can complete a trade in fantasy football. That positive feeling of knowing that you improved your team. But you have to be able to construct the deal properly and know what the goals are. The two primary goals of a trade should always be to fill a need or make an upgrade. When you're offering two players at the same position who have similar value for another two players that have similar value and at the same position, you're really not accomplishing those goals. If you're offering a top 15 wide receiver and a top 10 running back for the same type of value coming back at the same positions, you're not accomplishing those goals. And very often, I see fantasy football players put together three-for-one offers where they're offering quantity for quality. Those deals often don't get completed either because where one side clearly wins out, usually those offers are not going to be accepted. So you have to keep in mind to give up something of value to get something of value put yourself on the other side of that trade offer and say to yourself honestly would i accept that and if the answer is no then it's probably not a good offer if you can clearly win a trade then go for it but a trade that helps both sides an offer that appears to help both sides usually is the one that is going to get accepted and the way to identify who you should acquire is to first identify the right trade partner look at the roster grids and if you're searching for a wide receiver and your team is strong at running back then you want to find a trade partner who is weak at running back and deep at wide receiver and then you can work off that roster to identify who you might want to acquire. And some of the players that I talk about this week in our Seahawks Fantasy Insider on the website to acquire Jonathan Taylor, who is heading into his second game back, Matthew Stafford, who's fourth in the NFL in passing yards, Cole Komet, who has three touchdowns in his last two games, and DK Metcalf, who had 112 yards in week three and caught a second touchdown pass of the season in week four. Those are some of the players that you might want to target if the team fit is right in an offer check out more lineup and trading tips on seahawks.com for me right now on the fantasy insider tab and check out more of my work at the gameday.com and my lineup rankings on rotoballer.com back to you jen and john thank you scott i feel like we have not talked very much about seattle's offense going into this one i will get to that in just a second i do think it is worth talking about bobby wagner though because You pointed this out earlier in the week when we were talking to Pete Carroll that there were so many storylines around Bobby that you might forget to look at his numbers. Talk about a guy who was healthy, who was playing all the snaps, and who was still at the top of the leaderboard in tackles. Yeah, I mean, it's look, I think we all knew when he came back, A, it was just an awesome story. The fans were going to love it. It just, you know, he's Bobby Wagner. He's so beloved here one of the greatest players in franchise history, and B, you knew he'd help in that locker room. He'd be a leader. But it was fair to wonder, okay, he's 33, 12th season. That's a very physically demanding position. What What's the actual on-field product going to look like? And, again, and I, you know, shameless self-plug here, I wrote about this on Seahawks.com yesterday. 
I think it's been kind of overshadowed how good he's actually just been as a player through four games. I mean, pro football focus, take their reins for what you want, but they have him as the number three inside linebacker in football right now. They have him as the number one run defender. As you mentioned, 50 tackles on a per-game average, that's second best in the league. And if not for what Devin Witherspoon did in New York last week, he might have been defensive player of the week. He had 17 tackles and a pair of sacks. So he's still, you know, 33 years old, 12 years in, playing at a very high level and helping this defense. And he's a big reason why they went from one of the worst run defenses statistically in the NFL last year to right now they're number one in yards per carry average. Yeah, and there's a couple of things with that. When you talk about Bobby, it's interesting to listen to how he approaches the game and movement and um, maybe sometimes lack of movement because you're conserving your steps and your energy. There are times you look at the field and you're like, why is he – yeah. Why is he standing still? Yeah. And he's like, because I don't need to take a step. I know where the ball is coming. If I know where the ball is coming, why would I use my energy exactly. to take a step to my left or my right? It's coming right to me. And I think sometimes he makes it look so easy or maybe nonchalant. But of those tackles, what he has been really good at is making stops less than three yards off the line of scrimmage. So these are not just yeah. like throwaway tackles downfield after yards after contact. He is actually the one that is up there making the Yeah, the tons stops. of plays right around the line of scrimmage. He had in on that fourth down stop last week. I mean, just so many big plays. And, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to be the person who says Bobby Wagner's lost a step because I don't want that on record. But to your point, <laughs> if if someone crazy wanted to say that, that, there's a way to compensate for that with that experience. And what you're saying is right. you don't necessarily need to be quite as fast if you – pretty much know where the ball's going before it's snapped. Yes. But again, I'm not saying You're that. You're not saying if that. If anyone is listening. You know. Not anyone. Anyone, I, who, anyone who might, you know, talk to Bobby Wagner. I would hope that there's a lot of people listening. listening. John, Thanks. you have already told people to tell us to stop talking multiple times today. I hey, don't know, you know how I feel about this as a co-host, but here's what I do love. I wrote down on my notes today to have a discussion about the tush push. And you bring that up inadvertently with Bobby Wagner on that fourth down play because without Bobby, and quite honestly, without the leverage of a guy like Uchenna Nuosu and that entire defensive line, it was incredible how yeah. low those guys got to prevent that extra yeah, yard on fourth and one. They submarine their whole offensive line, and when they, when the line can't get the push there, that play doesn't work. So a lot of guys involved in that stop, and... It, it does bring up an interesting conversation of, you know, everyone sees the Eagles do and think, oh, this play's too easy, it's free yardage. But if you're not doing it right, it doesn't work too well. well. And so that's the thing. Should there be a rule against it? Look, if you get hurt, it's like any other play, right? If you line up in a formation and you can't handle it for whatever reason, because there were two Giants that were hurt on that play that I believe missed playing time the following week as a result of that, um, should there be a rule against it? Or I mean, should you know your own limitations? I tend to lean towards the latter. Like, if you can do it, great. And if you can't, don't put your guys at risk doing it. But I do think the league will look at if if there ends up being a bunch of injuries as a result of that play because teams are all trying it, then, I mean, it's something they're going to look at. Obviously, it's already been reported that they're discussing it. But I do <laughs> think it's kind of interesting that everyone you – know, the initial reaction was it's this unfair play because the Eagles just kept converting. But – it's not as easy as they've made it look. Well, and look, here's the deal. If you're talking about a safety thing, let's think about the alternative. You could hand it to a running back who now has to get a running start to get through the line. 
right? Mm -hmm. What's the difference between safety on that versus a quarterback sneak where you still have to push and you still have linemen getting leverage? Like it doesn't, I I get it. There's an extra little helping hand, but that's, the play is still moving forward. Yeah. You are going to move that direction anyway, whether you got a running start or you get a push from behind. Yeah. To me, it's less about like the league legislating it is like, if I'm an NFL team and I have a quarterback who I've invested a lot in, like, I don't know if I want them involved in that play. I mean, it's, he's slamming in there. He's got guys behind him shoving. You've got defensive players flying in there. Obviously the Eagles have made it work really well, but if I was not very confident in that play, I don't know if I'd want to subject my quarterback to that. Well, and you bring up a great point because maybe we don't see that play as much as the years go on because of that reason. Well, right? like, fortunately, no quarterback, to my knowledge, has been hurt significantly on that play. But if it happens, if we get sure. to a point where some team tries that and their 40 plus million dollar year quarterback gets hurt and misses significant time, I bet you a lot of teams will rethink their their desire to run that play. That's true. And we can have this conversation when the Seahawks play the Eagles late in the year. Meanwhile, right now, we are going to pause for a word from our presenting sponsor. Statistically, the world is losing color. Just consider all white kitchens, beige baby nurseries, a sea of gray cars. But in the hundreds of destinations Delta flies to, you can rediscover color in the bright blue waters of Hawaii, the emerald green hills of Scotland, the berry pink cherry blossoms of Tokyo, and so much more. Sometimes opening your world is all it takes to open your mind, which is why when you fly Delta, your potential takes off when you do. Delta, official airline of the Seattle Seahawks. We saw some colorful language from Geno Smith the last time the he, Seahawks. He was a little fired up. He was a little fired up. And talk about things that the league should legislate. That's one of the things that Pete Carroll brought up. We are not going to talk about that, though. We're going to go to the Seahawks offense. John, there was a point in New Jersey where not a single member of the Seahawks starting offensive line was playing in their projected spots. And yet, Geno has been sacked just seven times. And one of those we know he would gladly, he would, he'll take, he'll say that was his fault, right? In Detroit. Only three teams have allowed fewer sacks than the Seahawks. And you talk about injuries and having to deal with that. I don't even have the words of how impressive that is. Yeah, and, you know, tons of credit to Andy Dickerson, the offensive line coach, and those guys who get them ready because when you lose one starter, it can really mess you up. They lost both tackles in the opener. They've had their guards in and out. As you mentioned, for most of that game last week, the only week one starter on the field was center Evan Brown, but he was left guard Evan Brown because they ran out of guards, essentially. So to, you know... To still be, what are they, six in the NFL in scoring? They've done a lot of really good things on offense. Geno Smith's looking good still. To to be where they're at offensively through four games with those injuries, and now, you know, hopefully Charles Cross is back this week. Hopefully Abe Lucas isn't too far off. The guards are getting healthier. It's it's bodes very well for the offense that they've done what they've done so far without those guys, and it's great for the future, not just getting the starters back, but that all those other guys are gaining this experience. And that's the thing I was going to point out. Every single one of them after the game said, it's next man up. That's a really nice thing to say. And every single sports team that I have ever worked with has used that phrase. Yeah, There is a difference between saying next man up 
and having enough it. depth and experience and doing it at, I'm not going to say it's the same level as Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, but it is certainly at a level where the entire offense can function and get the job done. And that is a huge credit to Andy Dickerson, the offensive line coach. It is a huge credit to John Schneider, to Nolan Teasley, to all these guys that put together a roster and to Pete for how they structure practice and let these guys play. Yeah. I mean, it's across the board. A lot of people deserve credit for it, but it does. I mean, to have that depth and to get it, the experience, I mean, you, you obviously hope to finish the season with everybody healthy on a roll, but if let's say you're in a game with big playoff implications or you're in the playoffs and all of a sudden you lose a guy, you'd feel a hell of a lot better putting Anthony Bradford or Oluwatimi in there, whoever, knowing they've done it and they've got that experience and they're not just getting thrown to the wolves. And they did it against a team that didn't blitz as much as we thought, but certainly brought pressure. So when you look at those numbers, let's be clear, 11 sacks two weeks ago for Seattle means that they catapult to sixth most in the league. They've got 16 right behind them is Cincinnati with 15. Trey Hendrickson with six of those. Looking at the Bengals and like, Pass defense allowed under 200 yards a game. That's 10th in the league. You're going to need a good effort from the offensive line. You are going to need to continue doing that because for as much as we talk about the offense, uh, this defense is pretty good. Yeah, they've got a lot of good ball players up there. You mentioned Hendrickson, six sacks. He's a very dangerous guy. And they're getting done the back end. They're among the league leaders in interceptions and takeaways overall. I think you asked Pete Carroll about this yesterday, but both these teams are you know right up there among the league lead in turnover differential, and that that's going to be big, making sure you're not giving them free possessions, giving them the ball. Yeah, I, I'm very curious to see how this one plays out. I suspect it will be a close game. Seattle has not won in Cincinnati since 1993. To be fair, they've played there like twice since I know, then, but still. I know. It's, yeah, no, it's, I know. It's true. I'm glad that you put that in there, but it is a shocking number when you actually so, think about so it. So they're due. I like that. And we are due to give you the two things Seattle needs to do to come away with the win. I suspect we're going to have the same one on one of these. I mean, you you brought it up earlier, but I want to see the Seahawks pass rush keep going the way they're going. They've done a really good job so far. Really is a game and a half of no pass rush production. And since then, that's been really good. I don't want to see Joe Burrow have time to be comfortable. So give me another three sacks or so. And beyond that, you don't need 11, but get some sacks and get some pressure. Hit them a few times. Other side of that, we've seen the run game kind of here and there get going, and I want to see a really efficient run game. Doesn't need to be dominant, but let's let's get Ken Walker really rolling, get him over 100 yards, control the game a little bit that way. Yeah, it is interesting to look at the total rushing offense for Seattle, 17th in the league, just 108 yards a game. I say just yeah. because we know with that. Yeah, with that it's, it hasn't yeah. been bad. You just no, feel like they haven't just, quite had that game yet that they're capable of, and I, this would be a great time to get it going. It would be. Here's what I want to see Seattle do. Take care of the football. Yeah. You know that this is an opportunistic defense. Do not give them a chance to get the football. But you know what? Turnovers come in bunches. Seattle had a handful of them last week or two weeks ago against the Giants. So let's get a couple of takeaways, and let's limit Joe Burrow and the Bengals to four explosive plays in the game. That one's going to be tough, but you do that and you make them have to uh, to earn their way down the field. And I think that we'll be in good shape. And I think for today, we are in good shape. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.